0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah M. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater and your moderator for this morning. Today is Sunday, April 5, 2020. The share ID numbers for Friday, April 3rd, are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 14,364, that's 14364. And the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 14366. That's 14366. This morning, A Vision for You presents. What does the Big Book say is a spiritual experience? The purpose of the Big Book is to change your life through a 12 step process of personal transformation to bring about a spiritual experience, a spiritual awakening. The big book provides clear directions as to how you can experience such an awakening. A spiritual awakening can be thought of as a new state of consciousness and being, as a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from compulsive overeating and as an awareness of a power greater than ourselves. The big book speaks of a transformation stemming from access to a source of strength, a power which before we had denied ourselves. Those of us who have walked this path can assure you of its effectiveness. We once suffered in hopelessness, and despair. Now we are new people with a new purpose. We have been transformed. Becoming recovered means the problem has been solved. It's been removed. We have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe, and protected. Joining us to elaborate on this very topic this morning is Duell a recovered compulsive overeater from New York. Dew is committed to trudging our 12-step way of life and eager to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. And it's with great pleasure and appreciation that I welcome Dew L. to the line. Good morning, Dew.
1: Oh, thank you, thank you. Oh, by the grace of God, there go I. (laughs) boy i tell you this is when you do need that spiritual experience i'll tell you um so thank you my name is Du l and i'm a recovered compulsive overeater reader from new york recovered and um and i'm grateful to be here on this line this morning to talk about you know what is the spiritual experience according to the big book and and what does it say and i'm more than sure many many people have have Ask that question, you know, what is, what, what does a spiritual experience look like? Um, Do I have to get it fast? Do I get it gradual? Um, Do I have to work the steps fast? Um, You know, do I have to do it like the first 100 men and women did it? And, and if so, what did their experience look like? Um, You know, what was Bill's experience? What was Dr. Bob's experience? So today I'm hoping to cover, um, a lot of that, uh, a lot of those questions, uh, by giving you the historical nature of AA and, and what the co-founder's experience was on that and how the steps were developed um, and how they got this, um, this experience uh, individually for each one of them, and then were able to transmit this yet to others. So we're, we're going to get into that, but first I want to go to the appendix on the back of the page, and there's two pages, um, 567 and 568. And it reads in the, in the first paragraph, it says the term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading shows that the, there is a, that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. So already is saying that these two interchangeable words, spiritual experience and spiritual awakening will produce a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism for us is compulsive eating. So what are those changes and how do they happen and when do they happen right because some people would say well how long does it take for me to recover how long does it take for me to get to this point well we're going to learn a little bit about that today first we're going to identify what is a personality change let's go uh quickly to page uh 27 and um carl young who was a physician to roland hazard gave this explanation and he says on page twenty seven, these spiritual experiences or these vital spiritual experiences are occurrences or phenomena that they are appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements, ideas, emotions and attitudes which were once the guiding force of our lives of these men and are suddenly cast aside. And a completely set of new conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. And we're going to stop there for a minute because we want to understand what that is, right? So they're saying here that my ideas, my emotions, my attitudes, my behaviors, the way I used to think, the way I used to do things are going to be cast aside, and it's going to be done through something, right? Um, is gonna be cast aside and, and then it's gonna be replaced by something else. And he calls this a spiritual experience. So if we go back one page to page 25, Bill talks about the same, same experience. Um, he talks about the fact is this and nothing less, that we have a deep and effective spiritual experiences, um, which have revolutionized our whole attitude Right. So there's behaviors, actions, thinking that is involved in this and toward life. Right. The way I react towards life and towards my fellows and towards God's universe. And the central fact is. And this was true for Bill, that the absolute certainty that the creator has entered into what? Into our hearts. These steps need to be taken profoundly, deeply into the heart uh, in which it produces these miraculous, amazing things that you weren't able to do before. And what is the thing that we're all trying to stop to do is thinking about the food a certain way and eating those foods a certain way. So what is the uh, personality change? What is the recovery that we're, we're trying to um, recover from? Well, uh, <laughs> uh, Dr. Dr. Silkworth says, uh, I'm sorry, uh, the first 100 men and women say in the prefaces that we are recovering from a hopeless mind of uh, a, a hopeless state of mind and body. That's what we're recovering from. Nothing less, nothing more. It's just the way we think about the food and the way we eat the food um, that causes us problems to compulsively eat. So that's what we're recovering from, Um, and and so the spiritual experience and the spiritual awakening is on page 568. It says that we have tapped into this inner resource, which we presently identify with our own conception as a power greater than ourselves, and it's an awareness of a power greater than ourselves, and um, and so this inner resource is not a direct resources that I experience from let's say external sources like church or or it comes from, you know, other things like fear or self will or anything like that or religious dogma is coming from an intimate relationship with this inner resource which we can identify as the higher power of God. Right. And so, you know, in in order to get that, we need to practice principles which are underlined in this in this appendix was just saying that we need to practice honesty, willingness, and and open mindedness. Now, now that we know what the spiritual uh, experience is uh, to an extent, or the spiritual awakening, now we're going to get into the history of it because we need to read this in the context that it was written. And I think for most of us, we read this. And we get the gist of it and, um, and we go on and it's great, you know, but in order to get the full experience that these people were talking about, we need to read it in the context of the historical nature of AA. And that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to expound on that so that it becomes more clear. And, and people that are trying to recover will know exactly what that looks like for them and if they're identifying with Bill's experience or if they're identifying with Dr. Bob's experience, right? So if you go to the back of the book, there's a two-page appendix. And in this uh, two-page appendix, this appendix, first of all, was not in the book in the first edition. It came 21 years later. Um, It came in the second edition in 1955, right? so why did it come? Well, there were some people in AA that were concerned that if you weren't getting it Bill's way, you weren't doing it the right way. And Bill Wilson is a co-founder, and he was gathering information, and giving the information out. And uh, it's not that he tried to create this image; is that people thought of that, right? And and they were asking him, hey, you know, how do we get this? And and this kind of um, and they kind of lost the fact that you know that there was all these people that were doing it more like Dr. Bob, right? And so on page um 181 of of um the big book and in in the first paragraph of Dr. uh Bob's nightmare it says that Dr. Bob he got recovered in June 10th 19 uh I believe it was 1935, um, or thir- yeah, 35. And and so it took Dr. Bob another two and a half years before the a mental obsession had lifted for him. So he was not like Bill. Bill got it right away. He got the spiritual experience. He got it in one day. He got it in one shot. Um, Uh, and, and what happened to these men is that he did not have the physical allergy or the mental obsession, you know, to go away at that moment. But eventually in two and a half years, the mental obsession left it. Uh, we need to go back to 1935 and in defining the terms, they were just talking uh, among themselves and they took this book out. You know, this book came out in 1939 where there was 100 people. And um, so they were not putting any labels on anyone or any requirements on anyone. Uh, that was not yet the case, right? So when they talked about this spiritual experience, they this was Bill's experience. This was not anyone else's experience but Bill's at first, because he was the first one to get it. Um, so they were just you know at first, they were saying that you know, um, hey bill. Um, we are not all having your experience. we are having more of dr. Bob's experience. and so we're going to look at that right because it says that you know in nineteen fifty five when the appendix came out, it was at that time in nineteen fifty five that they had enough enough experience to know what the spiritual experience and spiritual awakening was, and they had changed it um to this word uh from from uh spiritual experience to spiritual awakening so let me explain what that means um so initially when bill recovered uh he had this one time experience where he boom he gets he gets this um this white light experience um he he ha- he feels like the wind is blowing uh, He's getting connected to this higher power. He's feeling this immediate effect of a God consciousness, a God change. His his mentality is that he is thinking never to drink again, nor is he drinking right from that moment on to the day he dies. I mean, that is his experience. His experience was that he is having a spiritual experience. However, when the other 100 men and women got together with him and they were saying, hey, you know, Bill, we're, we're, not, we're not getting this experience like you, um, you know, and we need to, you know, examine this because, you know, we're calling it a spiritual experience according to you and not everybody's having that. Maybe 10% of the fellowship is having that. You know, 100 people um, out of the 100 people 10 of them were having Bill's experience. 90% were having Dr. Bob's experience. So what was Bill's experience? He got it once, he got it deep, he got it right away. Um, But Dr. Bob's experience was that he had all these spiritual awakenings, all these, these awakenings that took maybe hundreds and hundreds of times to get thousands maybe thousands of times to get right like he didn't get it right away he was just coming to those realizations that he couldn't drink and he couldn't think about drinking anymore right so even though he put down the drink uh initially he was still obsessed with the idea of you know drinking And one of the things that I really love about this is that, you know, um, the big book on page 60, it says that on step 12, uh, it says, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps, we try to carry this message to alcoholics and practice these principles in all our affairs. So in the step, it says awaken. But Bill, what he called it was an experience. So it was a one day, a few seconds in of his life, and there he was with this experience to not drink again, nor does he think to drink again. And boom, the experience is one time is good, is is excellent for Bill. But Dr. Bob had hundreds and hundreds of experience, maybe thousands of experience. Eventually he came to the same place as Bill, right? So He did not have the need to drink again, nor did he have the thoughts of drinking again after being sober for two and a half years. The question is, is Bill's experience better because he had it one experience or Dr. Bob who had it multiple experience? So when Bill wrote the first draft of the 12 steps, he wrote how he had a spiritual experience. He did not write having a spiritual awakening. He had, he said experience because he was writing it from his own experience, right? He's having this experience. But then as they were talking among themselves, the first 100 uh, said to Bill, well, you know, you had this one experience where you never thought to do it again, but now, you know, there are some of us here that uh, took a little more time like Dr. Bob. So so they took the word experience and put the word awakening in the actual 12 steps to refer to both Bill's version of one experience and Dr. Bob's many experiences because in the end, both of them had a spiritual awakening. They were awakened to the
0: spirituality
1: and neither, neither way was right or wrong, right? Um, so, the approximation was that 10 of the original uh, 100 had Bill's experience, but 90% had Dr. Bob's
0: experience,
1: right? So, in 1955, they felt that they were actually putting the two page appendix, writing the spiritual awakening, and they wanted to tell everyone the differences between spiritual experience and spiritual awakening, which spiritual spiritual experience is a one-time event, right? It comes sudden. It's spectacular. You get recovered. You don't think to uh, drink, drink again, or you don't even drink again, right? Um, the spiritual awakening happened many times and it's gradual, right? So both at the end, uh, both had the same end result, right? Which is never to drink again, nor do you think to drink again, for us we can you know translate that to food right never to think about food that way never to eat that way again so they clarified it and now it's pretty clear uh what we're talking about right so kind of the backdrop of the history um my experience personally was the william james uh what caused the educational variety here and and this takes more than one experience right to get there down that road so no one is better or the other one's not worse uh no one is claiming that if you don't get it my way uh you're going to be wrong in, in getting it so that's the good news the good news is this comes to some very quickly and others it comes very slowly but the point is is that it has the same end result the spiritual experience spiritual awakening and according to how they changed it they encompass the spiritual experience and spiritual awakening as an end product as a spiritual awakening the end product of having this personality change this change of your psychic your thinking changes and your behaviors change and your actions change because every thought, every action is born from thought. So if your thinking changes, your life changes, right? So if I think I have a good life, guess what? I'm gonna have a good life. Uh, my actions will reflect that I have a good life. If I think that I have a bad life, my actions will reflect that I have a bad life, right? So what needs to change in us that is faulty? page 25 tells us, right? We have a a physical allergy and a mental obsession, but the greater aspect of our disease is the mental. The mental is what drives us right back into the food and is that thought process that is fallacious reasoning, unlogical, insane, uh, trivial, um, illogical thinking that we have that we make excuses, lies, justifications, all sorts of of things to get us back into the food. And then our disease, because we're so much in delusion and denial that we can't differentiate the truth from the false once we begin on on that road of thinking, right? So that's, that's my problem. That's a bigger aspect of my problem that I obsess and obsess and obsess until I get back into food. I have this built-in forgetfulness. I mean, this is all part of the mental obsession. So you can see why it's so imperative that you know we work these steps like our, our life depends on it. And that was the case for these uh, first 100 men and women. So that leads us to an important question which many have expressed and and you know and and the expression is there's a race against time to get ahead of the disease of compulsive eating then is there a timetable or a set time to work these steps right so that's really important because um we come into program we think we got to do it quick we got to get it fast and some people struggle with that I, i i know You know, personally from hearing it on this line and working with others, they really struggle with that. So let's look at the record. Let's look at what these first 100 original kind of like got that spiritual experience, spiritual awakening. What was their process? Uh, Did they work the steps? um, Were there steps to begin with um, to work at? And what was their ideal of what that looked like to get recovered? So let's go back in time uh, with the original 100, and these were low-bottom alcoholics. That meant that they had de- delirium tremens. Uh, they that meant that they were uh, low-bottom under-the-bridge alcoholics. Some were even pi- pissing on themselves, right? Um, peeing on themselves. So with these low-bottom alcoholics, they would have DTs. Now you get through these DTs and you need medical supervision. And if you don't get it, you could possibly die, you know, because you have high blood pressure, your, your, your blood pressure drops, you go into convulsions and you need a doctor supervising you for maybe the first 48 to 72 hours. And you know, the first couple of days, you know, you, you're going to need that service. So who was going to provide that service? Um, back then for these low-bottom alcoholics. And at that point, if you had that service, you had to pay for it. It it wasn't free. Um, If you go down to the hospital, you have to have some way of paying for it, right? So back then in the 30s, 20s and 30s, there was no Medicare. There was no Medicaid. You know, uh, it, it just didn't exist, right? So how was that done? So in New York City, there was this doctor called Dr. Silkworth at Towns Hospital. So when Bill went to, um, went to see him uh, on the big book, if you go to page seven, it says that the brother-in-law and Bill's mother helped him financially with the hospital stay. So Bill didn't have any money, Lois didn't have any money. I mean, <laughs> Bill was at the point where he was living with Lois's parents, you know? And uh, he needed to get some assistance to get into town's hospital. So, you know, uh, his brother-in-law and and his mother um, paid for his stay to be there. So the person who took these low bottom alcoholics through detox was Dr. Silkworth. And no one except Dr. Silkworth knew what the problem was, right? He knew what the problem was and he gave the information to AA. Uh, but it wasn't called AA back then, right? So then at Akron, there was no doctor that knew what the problem was because Dr. Silkworth was all the way in New York. And so what other doctor came around to know what was the problem? Well, you guessed it, Dr. Bob. So he was the only doctor in this area in Akron that knew what the problem was. So initially, he worked at the city hospital. So he did, um, he never charged these low bottom alcoholics any money for helping them to detox from alcohol. These services took about two to three days. But once he got through this process, he would, uh, send, send these, uh, bottom, low bottom alcoholics to recover alcoholics that were in Akron to work with them. Um, so after the detox, that's what they did. And it wasn't like a 50-50, you know, like you get 50 over here in Akron and 50 in New York. We don't know what that number looked like, but we know it was a diverse uh, uh, number of where they were sending these alcoholics to. Anyway, um, he would give them up to someone else. And for the first couple of days of sponsorship, um, you know, he had to medically supervise before he gave them up he had to supervise them of their withdrawal from alcohol. Um, and nobody else could do that. No one else had the medical
2: expertise for that. So that,
1: you know, this was a thing that, you know, um, that if, if you picked up, once you went there, you had no other recourse because they, they wouldn't even let you back to detox um, after this. So putting in context, um, you know, we see that we have a race against time. So some of us as compulsive overeaters, uh, we don't require to go through DTs that require medical supervision, right? That's not necessarily true with us. Some may have difficulties getting off of the food, but we don't have DTs, nor do we need medical supervision getting off of the food, right? So now these low bottom alcoholics, that were going through the detox, after they're released from the hospital, after they've gone through the detox, now they go into a sponsor's home, right, or a person to live there with, right, because back then there was no treatment centers, there there was no medical facilities other than the two already mentioned for detox. It was Dr. Bob in um in the city hospital with sister agnation which later they transfer over to the st thomas hospital that was a, a catholic um hospital um and they give uh free services for these people and then the other facility of course was dr silkworth in new york city so One of the things that that is interesting is that what Sister Agnesia has said to everyone that had come through, and she would give them this little token to pray over on, and and then she said to the person as they left the hospital, if you drink again, you don't get to come back here. And and she really meant it. You're not coming back here. Um, There may be, um, you know, a stay of two, three days or even maybe they extended it for a week you know to to help them to get some support and come around and and someone would come see them and move them out uh but they did not get to go through the detox again right they they would not get some uh someone to medically supervise them so they better not drink again because (laughs) it's it's not like today we come into program we binge our brains off and and next thing you know i'm starting again and you know, and I eat again and I have another binge and I have another relapse and I I you know, I start all over again, not with these early people that were going through this. This was more like a life and death for them. Um it, it was really like a life and death for them. That's why I think the percentage was so high in the recovery rate because they had no other option, right? So going back to the issue of time working the steps we're starting to see a picture here that we need to be careful not to take it out of context, right? So yes, it is a race against time. And these guys are near death, really, and they have very limited resources. And you have Dr. Silkworth in New York, and you have Dr. Bob and Sister Ignatius and Akron. Um, and you have no one else getting you through the withdrawals. And all you got is DTS. So you better get it there. And get it done, and really do it. And the people that were there to really help you to work uh, through through this this um, ideas of getting recovered um, were, you know, it, it was precarious situation. So they they better work hard and long with you too, right? Like it was just as much of the responsibility for the person that was recovering as it was the responsibility for those that were presenting the information to these people so when they work with them for a few days the 12 steps and here it is get this the 12 steps didn't even exist yet why because the 12 steps didn't occur until december 1938. Bill gets sober in the town's hospital in 1934, and it's been four years that Bill has been sober. And now he sits down with a pencil and yellow pad and writes down the draft of what will become the 12 steps. He's at home. He's wondering you know, what he's going to put down on paper. We call that today Rogers block, right? And he prayed to God and said, give me the strength to put down what I need to put down and to do what I'm supposed to do. And then he writes, In longhand, in a half an hour, pages 58, 59, and half of 60 to the um, A, B, and Cs, right? And he's not thinking about it, right? He's just flown with it. And I believe, this is my personal opinion, I believe that God, through the pencil, is giving Bill what would become the 12 steps, right? So after writing it, he counts the key points and the concepts, and he comes up with 12. Um, At the time, in December 1938, we have 12 steps. But we did not have them the first three and a half years. This is important to know because people say, well, I need to work the steps the way the first 100 people did it. And I need to work them fast. And there was a six-step program. And there was uh, these principles and the four absolutes. And we're going to get to that. I promise you, we're going to get to that in a minute. But I want you to understand, first of all, and and this may be a new concept for some of you that there was no steps at that time right dr bob gets sober in june 10th of 1935 uh and this is written in 1938 which makes it three and a half years later right so in three and a half years later the steps didn't even exist yet bill was making sure that there was no loopholes and nothing left out when he was writing writing uh those two and a half pages right and and the rest of the steps so we have been working at it um as best as we can right They we're working at it as best as we can and what they did have if it wasn't the 12 what did they have if it wasn't the 12 steps right so aa didn't even uh uh exist yet until december 1938. so uh what they did had was a group called the Oxford Group. And in in the Oxford Group, there was this Anne, which was Dr. Bob's wife, and she wrote about 20 principles, right, or tenets that were common in the groups. Um, And any group that she went to and where anyone would show up, right, uh, and there there was the Oxford Group, which broke off from the original Oxford group, which is a religious uh, organization. They broke off and they made it to be an Oxford group specifically for alcoholics. So she would go to all these different Oxford groups and um, uh, you know, some of them would study some literature. Some of them uh, were still even um, uh, studying some Bible literature, some other stuff that were there. Um, but, you know, basically when they broke off, they were, they were kind of like bringing some of those ideas over to the group that was called the Oxford Group for Alcoholics, right? So um uh, Bill's wife would also go to these meetings and she'd be in the kitchen making coffee and she was listening in. And she also thought that there was some commonality of any and every oxford group that she went to so in addition to Anne, she was writing some of these principles um some of these tenants um some of these ideas and concepts right now there is also this other other guy called dick b he's also an alcoholic recovered who lived in california and got recovered and now this guy he is important to know because he wrote 46 books and over about 1700 essays and documented the historical records uh on the history of aa and the Oxford group and interviewed and interviewed survivors of the early 30s aa and thoroughly went through it all he went through the whole history he went through all the interviews he got the history down um he he wrote all these books all these essays and and basically, he's considered to be an expert on the history of AA. And he wrote that in that history. He wrote that when he did the history and the research, there was no such thing as six steps or six tenets. That's going to be important. Keep that as a as a footnote in your mind uh, about what that looks like, because we're going to expound on that in a minute. Um, so this. It did not exist right the oxford group did not have it there was nothing in the notes taken from the oxford groups of that day that there there had been six steps or six tenants that that were worked right never existed well and and you know and for me i've studied this big book and i and i thought that there was six steps and six tenets. i i was reading the big book out of context, because I did not know the history of AA. I did not know the history of how this book was written, and how it was written in hindsight, and what it was really saying about this work, right? So it's so important to read this big book in context, and sometimes all we have to do is go back to the historical aspect of of the big book in order to get the right context of how we're uh interpreting these things and so he this Dick b is the most reliable source and accurate and it's actually you know um he he just based it on on the facts that he is presenting you know that he presents so if you want to learn more about him just google him and and the four absolutes which we'll talk about in a minute but it'll give you all that history so what did happen was that Anne came up with what we called uh she she had like 20 something steps or tenants or principles you could call them that right uh and then she came up with that and then lois also wrote things you know her things down in new york city and Anne is at in akron and and, you know, I don't think they're having, you know, conversations on the phone comparing those. But um, Lewis and Bill came up with 16 that were kind of that they noticed that were mentioned most of the time in the Oxford groups. Maybe there were 10, maybe there were, you know, more. Um, but six that kind of like stood out for them. And they're never in an Oxford group that, that you know, there was never a time where the Oxford groups or the Oxford groups, Made up these tenants or these principles. This was pretty much general ideas that were they were getting from everyone, right, um, and that stood out for them. So it was out of the observers, Bill, Lois, and you know, Anne, that they were looking at these meetings and saying, what What do we see here? You know, what are we looking at, at in these meetings? What What are the things that are standing out for Anne? It was about more than 20 concepts that, that stood out for her. And these 20 concepts predate the 12 steps. Understand, these, these ideas were predating the 12 steps. There was originally also four principles that were common to all Oxford groups. And it was the foundation of all the Oxford groups. And it came to be called the four absolutes. Four principles initially, then they changed it to four absolutes. So anybody, everybody that wanted to know about the Oxford groups were about to learn the four absolutes. And again, there was no six steps or 12 steps. This was four absolutes that predates all of that. And what are the four absolutes? These were principles that you would practice to the highest level, which you could possibly live with honesty, unselfishness, love, and purity. uh these were to them very powerful and very important because even if you go today to dr bob's tombstone and you look down at his tombstone you will see these four words um love unselfishness purity and honesty and you know it doesn't say where they came from what they are we know that it's absolutely there in the tombstone Uh, of Dr. Bob's showing how important it was, because what was happening is that these people were practicing these four absolutes. Um, And that's telling, right, that's telling us that these groups were practicing, you know, this. So if I take step one, for instance, if if I take step one, I need to have the highest level of honesty, unselfishness, love, and purity to take step one. And the same thing goes for step two, three, four, and so on, right? Uh, So that was from the beginning, right? And, 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 And so what happened then was that when New York broke away from the original Oxford group, the religious one, and became their own group, Akron had stayed attached to the Oscar group, which was the religious one, and did not form their own group till after the book was published in April 1939. They didn't separate out until later uh, in April of 39 and became their own their own group. Um, and they came up with names for their group, um, which originally was The Way Out, right? And um, And they had come up with these two names, a way out and Alcoholics Anonymous. The group voted and, you know, and they decided to go with a way out. So Bill goes to the Library of Congress, um, you know, and then examines whether they could use the name. And he finds out that there's uh, 13 books that are called the same same name. <laughs> so he comes back to the group, gets a consensus, um, and they decide to name the bu- big, uh, the the book, Alcoholics Anonymous. And later on, you know, they adopted the name of the book to their group. And so, you know, today they're called Alcoholics Anonymous. So, okay, so let's review. Uh, No steps or principles prior to the big book written in December 1938. Only four absolutes were incorporated into the Oxford groups and many basic tenets written by Ann, Lois and Bill were there, right? Each took basic ideas that stood out to them, and then imparted these ideas to those that wanted to recover. Later, when the book is revised and voted upon, and the decisions made um, about the book, these 100 men and women write the book in hindsight and in past tense. So we now we're going to look at Dr. Uh, we're going to look at what. In the Doctor's Opinion, it talks about um, Bill's experience. I'm sorry, not not there, uh, I think I got the wrong page. Yeah, Doctor's Opinion, I think I got my, my pages here mixed up a little
2: bit. Uh, let's see, where is it? Okay, sorry, this is the four to the second edition that I'm looking at. So
1: when we look at the four to the second edition on page XVI, now we're gonna look at Bill's story um, and what he's talking about in, 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 this, in this four to the second edition, right? He says here at the bottom of uh, the first paragraph there, um, it says, from this, from this doctor, the broker had learned the grave nature of alcoholism. And here it is. Though he could not accept all the tenants of the Osper groups, all the tenants, meaning there were many, many tenants. We don't know how many tenants there were. <laughs> but, but, here it is. He was convinced of the need of more inventory, confessional personality defects, restitutions to those harmed, Helpfulness to others and the necessity of belief and dependence upon God. For Bill, those six points stood out for him, and that's what he shared with other recovered alcoholics. Does that mean that every person followed that same program for everybody else? Did Dr. Bob follow that? Did he, as a matter of fact, Dr. Bob's history was he read a lot of religious books? And he imparted what he thought um, he was learning from all those religious books to other recovered people. So you know the program was not to say that they had six steps and and that's exactly what they were going to follow. That's exactly what they were going to um, uh, you know study. And everybody in AA was doing the same exact steps. That's not it. History shows back to Dig B, He's saying there's nowhere to be found in the history of AA that that was the case. What they were doing was looking at the principles that they were coming up with, finding the commonalities of those principles, and sharing them with other recover. I mean, with other uh, sick and suffering people, and that's important to know. And and the only thing, the only thing that was standing out at that time were the four absolutes that they all can agree on and they could go to the meetings and collectively do that so did they know it collectively what was happening at that time did they know what they were doing the answer is no according to dick b no formal program was being passed on initially but through trial and error, they were practicing the things that stood out to each individual. And later, when the group got together to write the book, there was an understanding that these underlining principles were there all along as a program of recovery, right? So in the doctor's opinion, should not be confused with the historical nature of the history of AA. In time, they came up with what um in time they came up with and and they wrote this in hindsight meaning they wrote it in past tense. they came up in 1930 38, they all got together they powwowed for a year they wrote the book 1939 the book comes out now they're able to look hindsight and say oh wait a minute we were actually practicing the six-step program initially you know Some some people, not everybody. So we have this guy in uh, page 263. It was someone that was working with Dr. Bob and he called the program the six step program. Now, understand this is someone's personal experience of their interpretation of what is happening and how they're receiving the message of recovery at that time. It was not a six-step program. It was not documented as a six-step program, but it was just some of the basic ideas that were being passed on to him that he was receiving that were working for him. And so he called it that, and it is written in this story in the back of the book on page 263 as that, right? Uh, so why is that important to know, right? Why, why, why am I stressing that so much? about um about the fact that we didn't have an official concept that way well we come to the meeting and we hear we need to work these steps like the first 100 men and women did it and we need to work the steps fast we need to work it you know at a timetable you need to work it in two weeks you need to work it in two months you need to work it in a year in less than a year you i mean you hear all these concepts These first 100 men and women, when they worked the program, there was no program. What they had were concepts. They had these ideas. And through trial and error, it took them three and a half years to write it down and pen it into a book, which became later the 12 steps. So now we have an easy method, right? We don't have to reinvent the wheel. We don't have to second guess it. We don't have to, you know, like try to figure it out. It's already been done for us, right? So we follow the directions. We can get the spiritual experience. Not everybody, not everybody's going to have the same timetable. Not everybody is going to get it in two weeks. Not everybody is going to get it in a month. Not everybody is gonna get it, you know, they're gonna get it when they get it. Um, why am I saying that? Because it is, I believe the person who wants to recover, it is their responsibility to work this steps like their hair's on fire. That is absolutely true. We have a race against time, race against the disease, a race against the food, a race against this. Right. So the concept, the idea that you should work these steps like your hair's on fire is definitely written in the history of of AA. Right. They came out of detox. They went right to work and they got recovered. Right. And and they didn't have the steps. They had concepts that they were using to get it. And some of them did right. And some of them did wrong. Some of them got it right away. Some of them took a little time to get it. But the end result was that everybody got the same thing. They got a personality change. The personality change helped them, was sufficient to help them not to think about the drink and not to go towards the drink, right? And not, not to be in the drink. So, you know, those two things, if you're getting those two things where you're not drinking anymore, and you're not thinking about drinking anymore, in our cases, you're not eating those key food ingredients anymore, and you're not you know, thinking about picking up those key food ingredients anymore, then you're good. And you've gotten this spiritual experience, right? Uh, you've gotten what, what this big book is talking about. It's a God consciousness. It's not going to come through your own efforts. It's not going to come through your self-will, self-determination, self-power. It's not going to come through that. You actually have to go through the process of the 12 steps as it's outlined today, right? As it's outlined today to get this process. If the first 100 people did it, they didn't, they didn't have no idea. They had no idea of what was happening. I mean, they just had these concepts about, you know, how to get closer to God, how to make restitutions, how to, you know, apologize for certain things, how to look at their inner core and say, hey, you know, I'm flogged to the core and and I I, I need rescuing because I I can't rescue myself. Those were the concepts that they were were getting. And they knew they couldn't drink anymore, right? Liquor was no longer an option. Liquor was no longer an option for them. They got to that point. If you haven't got to that point, you're probably not ready. I'm going to be honest with you probably not ready to take these steps. But if you're at the point where you're defeated, you're, you're just, just, just out of options, and you have no other way out, then you're probably ready to take these steps. Now, thank God that we don't have to go through what these first 100 men and women had to go through, they had to go through trial and error, you know, to try to get this and by the grace of God there they went because they did get it right they did get it and and they put their collective experience into a book so that we don't have to go through that hardship so let's not play God in people's other people's lives and tell them when they got to get this because it's not about quantity it's about quality and quantity it's about both right Because I could take somebody through the steps in two weeks and if they're not dedicated to go through this process the way the big book tells you to take it, it's useless. It's futile because you're going to do the time, you're going to go through the steps with someone and they're going to go right back to the food, right? So what I'm saying is it's not the responsibility of the sponsor to recover. It is the person who's recovering that has the most responsibility to do the work. And the sponsor will go as fast as that person is able to. And I say able because there might be some medical things that are happening with the person that they may not be able to be retentive. I, I know I've worked with people that have uh, you know, ADHD. They can't retain a lot of, a lot of information. I've had people that can't read that well. I've had people that, um, you know, that are are a little slower in processing information. You know, it might be that they have some medical issues that don't allow them to process the information as quickly. They might have mental and emotional disorders that may affect that. So I'm not going to play God in their lives and say, you got to get it by this time. And if you don't get it by this time, you're not getting the program the right way. That's not what this spiritual experience is saying. The spiritual experience is saying, some will get it suddenly, fast, one time, and others will get it multiple times. Now, I'm not advocating for you to go and have 50 million relapses and, <laughs> you know, And keep going back to the steps and going back to the steps. No, what I'm saying is that the big book is very clear on what it's saying, right? In order to get this, we got to work the steps like our hair is on fire. We need to work the steps deeply, truly and truly concede to our innermost selves that we are the real deal. And without spiritual help, without this higher power, without going through this process, we're gonna stay stuck in the disease. Now, that's your choice if you wanna do that. That's your choice. But, like I always tell people, and, and this is my own personal experience now, I tell my sponsees, if you are still not convinced, the big book in AA tells you what to do. They say, go out there, experiment. And they're not saying go out there and binge your brains off either, right? On page thirty, they're saying go and experiment. And and we call this the the Maddie Martin um I think it was uh uh Maddie Maddie M, which she proposed this test, right? And the test here is uh found on page thirty one of the big book. It says, We do not like to pronounce any individual alcoholic but you can quickly diagnose yourself step over to the nearest bar room in our case nearest kitchen food bar whatever and try some control drinking for us eating control control meaning that uh i think uh i think it was maddie i i keep forgetting her name maddie something and, and she was a recover person, AA, and she, what she did was she said, try to take one drink. Let's say, you know, for us, try to get one binge food. Let's say it's a Snickers bar and try to control that Snickers bar. Try to have just one or two Snickers bar every day for one or two weeks. And if you try that and you see you can't go beyond that one or two, you're probably already this alcoholic you're already trying because if you can't you can't eat it and stop abruptly and you keep eating it and you get out of control you're probably a compulsive overeater it's not that if it. it is that you are right and so you know so what it's saying here is that when we're looking at these steps, we need to do this the right way we need to be convinced ourselves right? If you're convinced yourself, what I tell the people, getting back to my point about what I I tell my sponsees, is if you're not ready to take these steps, don't waste your time. Don't waste the person that is trying to help you that could be helping somebody else to get this. And don't waste the time that can be available to someone that may be needing this desperately needing this and can't find a sponsor that's recovered because you're taking up that time right if you're going to work these steps know that your heart and your head and everything's on fire and you need to get this with the utmost urgency and yes you know you may not get it for a couple of years you may not get it for a time right we're not playing God in your lives. But what we're saying and we're shouting to you is that there is a solution. There is a way out. There is a way to get this. And it's found here in 12 step process. First, you put down the food. And I'll close up with this. First, you put down the food. You know, and you do that 100%. Don't don't play around with your food. You know, a lot of people say, oh, I'm abstinent, I'm abstinent, but they're not. They're not because they're having traces amounts of their, their key food ingredients, they're having traces amounts of, the of these foods, and they think they can, they can be better. They, they think they're, they're the ones that the hats are going to be off to them, you know, and going to get this, you know, exponentially, and, and they're going to be the exception to the rule. You're not going to be exception to the rule. Experience shows you're not going to be exception to the rule. You're going to to go back to the food it, it may take you a little time to get back to the food uh to have the full explosion because you're still in the food if you haven't traced this amount to the food you're still in the food if you haven't traced this amount of the food so you need to do it 100 percent you need to put down those foods so that you have the clarity to go through the rest of the process then you need to come to the process of getting to a po- power greater than yourself and uh and then you know accessing that power by making that decision to go through the rest of the process right and then looking at the things that are blocking you from accessing that power that's step four right and the way you release that is through confession it means that you get to admit all your life stories all the dark cranny of the past everything and then you get to release it again your character defects and look at the patterns that are killing you in step six. So now you make a recommitment to God in step seven and say, you know what? <laughs> I've totally blown it again. I, I I need you, God. I need you to be with me and shape me and mold me into the person that I ought to be. And that means that I'm gonna have virtues and I'm gonna have character flaws, but you're gonna take that all, God, and you're gonna do it in your time to make me the person that I ought to be. So more action is required after that, right? Because we don't stop there. We go back to step eight and we look at our list that we did in step four. We take that and we're ready to fix the things that are broken in us and the, broken and the things that are broken in others, right? Because we've made a mess. We've been that tornado in the lives of others. So now we're ready to take that go directly and make amends wherever possible. Wherever it's not possible because they are dead or something has happened, you write a letter, you go over it with your sponsor, you find that sacred space, you give it out to the universe, you give it out to God, and you correct the mistake. Or if you don't owe anybody an amends, but it's a change of personality that you need to do, then you do that also. You change your behavior, you change your attitude, you change the way you interact with other people. Even if you've never spoken a word to them, you still do it. And now that you've had the spiritual experience, spiritual awakening, we call it the spiritual awakening because it encompasses both things, right? We've learned that already. That is a revolutionary change that changes our whole outlook on life whole outlook on God, whole outlook on myself, and how I interacted with other people and how I react to other people, situations, people, places, and things. I've had that God consciousness. I'm getting closer to a power greater than myself. Now there's more work to be done again, right? Because now we've acquired the skill set in one through nine. Now we're going to apply the skill set in 10, 11 and 12. We don't get to skip on the steps. I know some people love to say we can skip on the steps, but we can't do this if we're doing it the way the first 100 men and women did it. They wrote it in sequential order. It's called the textbook because they go in order of the steps. You don't get to build a step in midair and think that you're gonna go to that step without building the foundation connecting to that step. right? you need to first build the foundation to connect to that step, to be able to step on that step properly. If not, you're gonna have a fall and you're gonna break your head. But that's another conversation for another day. Step 10, you continue to take inventory. You continue to see how you've been liberated. Finally, the obsession has been removed. You've been totally recovered now. Uh, You can consider yourself somebody recovered after step nine. Step 10, you're recovered. But does that mean now I take my self will and I go and sponsor people without finishing the rest of the steps? I don't know, I don't think that's a good idea, right? The first 100 men and women, they did not do that. They did not just finish step nine and then they go out and sponsor people. They had to improve their conscious contact with God. They had a prayers and meditation that they were doing and now they go and they work there's a whole chapter that says working with others, there's a reason why it's there. Do not go and work with others without getting the directions of the do's and don'ts of sponsorship, right? It doesn't make sense. I don't know, some people do it, God bless them, they do it, go, good, good for them, you know, they can do it that way. I know I couldn't do it. I couldn't be an effective sponsor without getting the directions on how to sponsor somebody properly without doing this properly, right? had to go through step 12 finish step 12 now i'm ready now i'm equipped now i go and help another person and i create immunity for myself and i create a safe space for others to recover and that is in essence of everything that is the spiritual awakening the spiritual experience that you should be experiencing if you're not having that you're not recover. and your responsibility if you're not recovered, if you don't have that, it's to recover, recover, recover. That is your job. Our job as recovered people is to try to help you as fast as you're going to go. Not according to what I think you should go, according to how fast you're going to go, because you need to be on fire. Not me. I've already got mine. I'm good. But you need to do it. So I'm grateful to um, have shared a little bit of the history of AA, um, a little bit of the, you know, differences between spiritual experience and spiritual awakening, and what that encompasses for all of us in how to get this experience, in how to attain it, what that timetable looks like for each and every one of us, and and I uh, hope now to turn the meaning over to you guys and from you. Thank you.
0: Thanks so much, Du, for bringing the text to life in this very informative and thorough presentation this morning. Thank you for your generous service. Today's share ID number 14,377. That's 14377. Du L's contact information will be given at the conclusion of the recording, so stay tuned for that, please. We will now transition to a question and answer segment. You can pose a question by pressing star one to unmute. I need your name, including the first letter of your last name. Mary Lee R. A. Mary. Mary Lee R., I heard. Charity. Uh I I didn't get anybody else at the moment. Nadia B. Karen A. Nadia B. Karen A. Karen A. hmm Ginger C. Ginger, gotcha. Anyone else in this group? Star 1 to unmute. Okay, perhaps not. Mary Lee R., let's start with you.
2: Good morning, Leah and Dew. Thank you, yet again. Um, I have a 10-step question about an irritation, an ongoing irritation. How do you address that? How would you address that?
1: Uh, when you see uh, you're in 10-step, are you someone that considers yourself recovered?
2: Yeah, let me be more specific. It's it's a personal irritation. Um, I have a house guest that uses my mixing bowls that I use to fix my food without ever asking.
1: Okay, um, but my, my question, I hate to interrupt you, but my question again is, what step are you on?
3: It's a 10th step.
1: No, I, I, that's not what I'm asking. Well, I'm asking I'm what on. what step, are you on with your sponsor? Um, Are you you on um, step one? Are you on step two? Are you on step 10? Do you consider yourself recovered? Do you not consider yourself recovered? That's the question.
2: Mostly on step 10, 11, and 12. Um, Once in a while, I go back to step one and two and three, and then, um, but this is an irritation that keeps... So you... Wait,
1: stop. So you... Consider yourself a recovered person that has gone through all the steps already, yes? Yes, ma'am. Okay, great. So I wanna wanna make sure I'm talking in a way where you can understand what I'm saying to you. Okay, so step 10. Step 10, going back to step 10, it tells you exactly what you're gonna do. If you've done a four through nine, you should already know what that process is, right? If you have an irritation, which is a resentment, you put it down on paper, right, black and white, and you look at the cause. What causes me to be angry towards this person? How does it affect my ambitions? And then you're going to set aside everything that you've ever thought about that person through prayer because you're going to be praying for them to let go of the resentment and get right sides with God and get right sides with the other person right? You're going to do that. And then you're going to look at your part. And you look at your part and you look at where you've been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, frightened, and inconsiderate. It's the same process. Then you go and talk it over with your sponsor. Say, hey, you know what? I have this issue. I need to do my 10 step around it. Let's work on it. Let's see what my pattern of character defects is coming up. You know, when I, when I spot it means I got it. When something or someone disturbs me, it's because I have it in myself and I'm doing it yet to others. So the prayer that we're praying in step four is to have compassion for other people and see that they're sick just like we are, that they're not no better or worse than we are that the own as far as we ever got was blaming the other person and not looking at our own stuff. Once you do that, you look at your your character defects, you pray to God to let them go, you get reconnected with God in step seven, you go make amends to that person if you need to, and you've just done a ten step. That is the process. Are you doing those things with your sponsor?
2: Yes, and thank you. Sometimes I
1: forget. Okay. well, That's why we're here to remind each other.
2: Thanks, to You're welcome.
0: Thank you, Mary Lee R., for the question. Nadia B., your turn. Thank you. Um, Nadia B., Gratefully Recovered in Connecticut. You um, just floored. Thank you so much for all this information. My question is, um,
2: what has changed for you in practices of 10, 11, and 12 as a result of your last um, experience or awakening with the steps and understanding and having this all information, new information, what changed for you in practicing um, of all the steps recently or in your recent experience?
1: Thank you. Thank you. That's a great question. Yes, a lot has
2: changed.
1: (laughs) So, you know, it says in step 11 that we improve our conscious contact with God, right? We continue to improve our conscious contact with God. And for me, improving my conscious contact with God is doing my 10, 11, and 12 every day. Every day, as much as possible, as much as I can um, on a daily basis. If I can't check in with my sponsor um, every day because she's busy or I'm busy, um, you know, then I will wait and take notes and, and keep a journal of all my 10-step work and all my 11-step work and all my 12-step work. And then when I get an opportunity with her, I will share that with her. And so what's changed for me in this time around is that I did go back through all the steps together with her. And, um, and I was improving my conscious contact by doing the historical context of AA and seeing where we can unify the meaning more, right? Because I hear a lot of um, uh, sometimes what seems like dissension in the meaning because people are saying, this is the right way, that's the right way. And one of the things that um, I talked over with my sponsor is how to unify the meaning, how to unify each other, how to be more uh, cooperating with each other and, and getting the right information and And getting it in the context, not of my opinion, right? Because my opinion means nothing. But getting getting it in the context of the first 100 men and women, I think that's more important than my own personal opinion, right? Um, I can have my own experience and I can share that with someone, but I think the one that worked was the experience of these collective 100 men and women. So I want to be able to share that as much as possible, uh, with others to create unity, uh, unify the meaning, unify our fellows, unify the recover people. Um, and so, in doing this talk, uh, I had that um, that desire in my heart to bring more unity to this. And so, um, in that way, I feel that God is blessing me and is, um, you know, helping me to grow along those lines because now i'm going to be sponsoring differently right i have new information uh that i didn't have before (laughs) i i noticed my errors i noticed that i was given misinformation because i was just going on what everybody else said and not doing my own personal research and 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 so it's important it's important for us to get deeper and 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 more um deeper into the history and deeper into the steps and deeper into improving our conscious contact with God. So I hope that answers that.
0: Thank you, Nadia B., for your question. Karen A., star one to unmute.
3: Good morning. This is Karen A. from Michigan. Uh, Recovered and so thankful to God that you gave this talk to us. I have never heard some of the things that I heard from you today. I appreciate it more than you'll ever know because it's been a shot in the arm for me. It's it's something I've needed and I don't even know that I needed it, but I realize I do now and I think God is working with you to help us. Um, What it confirms with me relates to my sponsees. It confirms that before there were any steps, that this was a spiritual program and for pointing that up and strengthening that fact for me, I'm truly appreciative. So what I heard you saying is that for my sponsees that are maybe still struggling with behaviors that are not according to what they need for recovery, you're saying work those steps, keep moving. You're saying don't you know, necessarily have to return back to step one, but forge ahead with step four, don't be afraid. Work the steps and let the steps work for you. Is that what I'm understanding? Please correct me if I'm wrong. So what I'm saying is, is that if you
1: haven't taken step one, you're not going to be able to work the steps. That's what I'm saying. So, you know, the, <laughs> ha- the responsibility to put down their entire, entire binge food ingredients, whatever that may look like for them. I don't know, yes. you know, but when I take people yes. through the steps, I I look at that and I help them to come to that conclusion for themselves. I don't give them that conclusion. They come, come, we go through the process of them coming to that conclusion for themselves. I do not, uh, if they have a relapse, I do take them to step one because if you haven't taken step one, you know, you can't go through the rest of the steps. if, If you haven't even start with the foundation of, of putting down the food, right? Um, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, but, You know, you can work these steps like your life depends on it. Um, Some people that have gone to, let's say, steps four or nine and have had a relapse, what I do is instead of going through it line by line, dissecting everything, you know, like we did initially, what I do is an overview with them, which goes much quicker, much faster. Um, You do an overview, see where they, you know, uh, go back and review all the steps and see where they missed something out of those steps, where they went back into the relapse, um, and, then, and then just work through the steps quickly, you know, and it, it doesn't take that long. I mean, like, uh, my experience with some, uh, I've taken people through the steps in two weeks. Uh, I took one person through steps in two weeks, and he got it, and he's actually doing excellent. He's, he's one of the people on a vision for you that is doing excellent. Um, and, and then, you know, I've taken other people and it usually takes about three to four months. Um, and I, I mean, some people will not agree with that, but I don't go according to my pace. I go according to the sponsor's pace. you know, whatever that looks like for them. You know, and, and so, but now if, if they're taking too long on the steps, I'll put a little pressure on them and say, hey, you know, uh, maybe you need to pick up the pace, right? Because, you know, if not, you're going to find yourself compulsively eating again, right? So, you know, I motivate them and I try to support them as best as I can uh, without being a, a god or higher power in their life, you know, because they have yeah, their own She
3: really power. won't.
2: I think I lost you.
0: Thank you, Karen A., for your she
3: question. W- I'm, Go. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Would you like oh, to clarify want, something?
3: Yes, ma'am. I got mm-hmm. unmuted somehow just now. Okay. Um, she wants to hang on step three until she gets her spiritual change. And I'm like, no, I don't think that's the way to do it. Am I correct? To just stay on step well, three yeah, until you get I mean, the spiritual. You're saying
1: on step, the, the step step three should take like literally like less than a day. It should seconds. Yes. Just, yeah, it's
2: very easy.
3: Thank you, you. You
2: take the
1: step and and if if you know, I would question that. I would I would help her and break
3: those strongholds. Absolutely, that's what I'm doing. I just want a confirmation. And again, your blessing. Thank you so much, God. Thank you. Thank
0: you, A with your question uh ginger c your turn
2: good morning this is ginger c
0: recovered compulsive overeater and do uh first and foremost my heart really has been out to all of you in new york city and the area so praying for you guys daily and um thank you so much for this incredible talk that you gave this morning and you highlighted so clearly the difference between bill and bob and obviously bill had a white lightning experience where uh Bob was more of the educational variety. So uh, the doctor's opinion says this is repeated over and over and unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. And you mentioned he pretty much didn't have this experience happen for him for two
4: and a half years. That's a lot of days, a lot. So just curious, what do you think kept him going and out of the bottle?
1: So um, according to uh, the history of AA, again, uh, I'm just gonna go back. He was a church goer. He read a lot of spiritual books. Um, and, and I'm not just talking about Christian books. I'm talking about a lot of different spiritual books. I mean, he read on uh, Buddhism, he read on, 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 um, you know, on, on different topics from different religions. Um, And so he was very well informed of what those spiritual experiences were happening for other people and what it needed to look like for him. He did, he did, um, use a lot of, a lot of, you know, um, um, spiritual, uh, one of the spiritual books that he used, um, was, um, I don't know if I should mention it because it's, it's an outside issue, but, but let's just say that he used, um, a lot of, a lot of books that, uh, read, you know, what Christians call the word of God. And so, you know, he, he did a lot of that. And, and so, um, you know, he, he just kept busy, He kept busy, kept with his spiritual walk, um, even though, and the other thing is he kept sober. So, you know, uh, one of the things that I, I think that 's important to mention also here is that as long as you do not pick up your substance no matter what because it's no longer an option, you have a better chance of grasping that spiritual experience right and and even though you may not have clarity and may not have um, uh, you know this this uh, profound uh, revelation of this mental obsession, uh, thinking about going back to drink, you will have a better chance, right? Like never picking up that first drink, never picking up that first bite. You have a better chance. And I think that's what happened with Dr. Bob. He never picked up that first drink, even though he was having the mental obsession and the mental obsession is restless, irritable, and discontent, that's all it means. Restless, irritable, and discontent, right? I'm feeling like I want, I'm thinking about it, I'm obsessing over it, but I'm not picking it up. Because he had taken truly, truly step one. He knew that alcohol was no longer an option. So we can do that. We can put down the food, we can put down those key food ingredients, we can put it down 100%. We may not have the release of the mental obsession, but well, I'll tell you one thing: we'll be we'll be sober, <laughs> we'll be abstinent. <laughs> so that speaks volumes for abstinence. So I, I just wanted to point that out.
0: Thank you, Ginger C, for the question. All right, we'll take uh, three more questions. Who else has a question for? Do start one minute. I didn't catch your name. Simone J. Simone J. Colleen thank you. M. Shelly CR. Amelia O. Shelly CR. Jody E. And Jody E. Okay. I have Simone J., Colleen M., Shelly CR, Jody E. Excellent. Gen Z. Gen Z. Okay. You'll finish that yeah. up. Simone Gen J. J. Simone Jay, go right ahead, please. Simone J, star one to mute.
4: Sorry, okay, um, so my question is, um, thank you so much for taking the meeting and thank you for sharing. My question is twofold. Number one, um, I wanted to know um, about speaking on um, the daily meetings. Um, I have been working with a sponsor, Envision, um, for about five months and I have been abstinent, um, but I am still, um, you know, I'm on step four at the moment. Um, I've taken a few people through the doctor's opinion, but um, I just wanted to know what your thoughts are on sharing on the daily meeting. And the second question I have is at the moment with being homebound, um, I'm finding my body dysmorphia really kicking in. Um, I feel like I'm, you know, overeating and, Um, you know, stuffing my face like old behavior because I'm in the kitchen all the time making meals for the family and the kids and the kids seem to want a thousand and one snacks. I'm not in reality. Um, And I have jumped on the scale to confirm that I am not doing this. I just wanted to know if this is something you can shed some light on, if it's okay to use the scale like that to confirm or if I just need to kind of just trust I don't know
1: thank you okay thank you for that question um so to answer the question first of all if you're stuffing your face and you're compulsively eating i would my suggestion to you is go back to step one right because you can't be doing step four if you're stuffing your face and you've never taken the step to begin with um it just doesn't make sense so sharing our meetings
4: um sorry you know clarify Sorry, dude, just to clarify, I'm not, I'm not stuffing my face. I'm not doing that. I'm not eating Cobalt. I'm not, I am in a state of, of recovery. I, I'm saying my body dysmorphia is kicking in, and my head is telling me okay. I'm doing I, that. Yeah. I, I, th- I thought you said you were stuffing your face every day.
1: Um, so <laughs> so just to be clear, if you're stuffing your face, it's a problem. you got to go with step one. If you're not stuffing your face but you're thinking about it, um, you're right where you need to be, right? You're still going through the process of, of getting rid of that mental obsession. As far as uh, sharing on the meaning, that's, you know, let's look at the preamble, let's look at the uh, format for a vision for you. Anyone and everyone can share, you know? Um, there's no requirement for sharing as long as you share on topic. That's what the, you know, the format says right that's how our meeting works uh so if you stick to that and you can share on the topic then fine go for it um if you can't seem to pull that off because you haven't recovered yet and uh in page 164 it says but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got um and i i remember this little poem that was said to me you cannot teach what you don't know you cannot lead where you don't go. You cannot be what you are not. You cannot give what you ain't got. So I don't know, big book principles tell me if I have nothing good to share because I, I'm i not recovered yet to transmit the, the message of recovery, maybe the best option is to listen um, and, and to take in uh, what I need to to become fully equipped to be able to share a message that has death and weight. That's just a suggestion. The format in the meeting says, you can share as long as it's on topic. So it's up to you, it's it's your decision what you wanna do with that. To answer your second question about body dysmorphia, yes, as you're going through the recovery process, one of the things that my sponsor told me is your weight is none of your business. And if you're obsessively looking at the numbers, put away the scale. You know? Uh don't look at the scale. Work the steps like your life depends on it. Um the other thing I heard from you is you're taking other people through the steps uh or where you're at. I don't suggest that. Um if somebody is drowning in in the water in a pool and you don't know how to swim and that person doesn't know how to swim and you jump to save that person because you think you got some little skills, you're gonna drown with that person, okay? So become a professional lifeguard, go and get training from the professional lifeguard, get equipped, become the professional lifeguard, and now you could go and help another person to be rescued from their dilemma because you've been rescued yourself and then trained to do that effectively. I hope that's helpful.
0: Thank you, Simone J for your question. Colleen M, star one to unmute, to ask your question, please.
1: Hey, do Elle. Thank you so much for uh, what, a, what a great um, meeting. My question is, I wanted to know the name of the gentleman you said was the, um, uh, oh, gosh, I can't even think of the name I want
4: to use, the, the person you referred to that wrote all the books and the
1: version um, oh, that would be, essays. Right. So that would be Dick B. Um, so he came in, Dick, Dick, E-I-C-K, B as in boy. And he came into program, uh, very early on, I think in the 20s. And, and then he, I think it was, uh, he was born in 1925 and he died in 2015. So, and, uh, so he was, some people could, Uh, consider him an unofficial historian, Other consider him an official historian. So, you can do Google him and and, you know, and if you even Google the four absolutes, uh, it will give you him.
0: Thanks Colleen M. Shelly CR, star one to unmute for your question.
2: Good morning, um, and thank you so much for your service, Leah. And thank you so much to you. This has been very eye-opening. Um, my question is about working through the steps. And in response to someone else's question earlier, we we're talking about you know working with sponsees at their pace. My question is regarding step nine. So when someone is making their amends, um, based on the number of people that they need to make direct amends to, and um, the manner in which to do that, whether it's sending a letter or, or now, I guess, it's more with kind of Zoom or virtual meeting kind of stuff. Um, I'm wondering about the pace of going on to step 10. Do, I, do we need to wait until they are completely done making all of the direct amends, at least, because the living amends are ongoing um, before we go into step 10? Or is it that um, once they start making the amends or, or what's the, I guess, I'm looking for some uh, direction on that. And thank you very much.
0: Okay.
1: So I'll give you my own personal experience. Um, It shouldn't take that long. I mean, you know, a couple of weeks, um, you know, for some people they do it like, you know, in two weeks, uh, other people do it, they take a little longer, but, you know, the end result is that they get it done. Um, One of the things that I learned through that process of step nine is that I get to complete all my men's completely, as best as I can, with the uttermost tenacious, hardworking, and searching out those people. Um, And, you know, the truth is, I'm not going to find everybody. I'm not going to find everybody. Um, Some people I will not be able to reach, but I will do my utmost um according to the program recovery it says you have to do something about it no matter what the consequences may be no matter what it is the amends have to get done some kind of way before you move on right because you're not the checklist is the promises if those promises are not coming true because you've not done the amends or you have measured them or you've not done them correctly how are you going to transmit that message to someone else right? If you've not done the work, um, and if you um, haven't gotten those experiences, have you, you haven't gotten those promises. So for me, was I, I did the best that I could in searching out those people. My sponsor was a, a super tremendous guide in helping me to do that process. Um, uh, there was no tables that were not turned, no beds that were not turned upside down. Um, I mean, I really did a thorough thorough step nine and that's what's required right it's it's not about you know how many people you're going to find when you're going to find them how you're going to find them it's about really doing your best effort with god's help to get all of that done if you've done it thoroughly and in your heart you check yes i've done it yes i've searched these people yes i've done everything possible to get connected then you do it, you know, and sometimes what I've done is I've done the step work with my, um, with my sponsor, where I've given the amends to my sponsor, because I haven't found a person, but you know, four years later, I find a person and because I am ready to make that amends. And because I've been ready in my heart, I've been able to make the amends four years later, you know, if I find a person. So it's, it doesn't mean that I don't, do it, it means I do it and I move on, but I do it with the satisfaction that I've done my utmost to find them and to make those direct comments. Now, if you've done that, you've gone through the promises, you have checked them off. Now you move on to step 10. So, yes, um, timetable is you go according to the sponsor, but if they're taking too long, I, you know, put them in check, you know, hey, say, you, you know, uh, you're probably moving a little too slow. Can, can you pick up the pace? you know how can how can I support you in picking up that pace? Hope that's helpful
0: thank you shelly c r jody e your turn
1: Thank you, Leah. Good morning, everyone. Thank you do so much for this interesting uh topic that you've chosen today and the history. I really appreciate that
2: okay, ma'm what's the answer.
1: I'm wondering if you were to recommend just
2: one book on the history of AA and the 12 steps, which book would you recommend?
1: Well, there are, um, there are a number of, uh, AA approved literature. Uh, I don't know if it's an outside issue, so I'm not gonna mention them on this line because it may be AA approved, but may not be OA approved. So what I recommend, if you want to get the history of it, there are uh, quite a few books out there Um, and you could go to aa.org or oa.org and it will give you those books, more like AA because you're getting the history of AA, right? So aa.org will give you that information, and and you could look up, you know, the different types of books that they have that are historical books, and give you the background of that. And if if you like, you could call me one on one, and I could share that with you. Okay, thank you.
0: Thank you, Jody E. Our final question for the day comes from Gen Z. Hi, this is Jen Z. Um, I have a question
1: for Duell. Thank you for your service. Uh, my question is the circumstances that we find ourselves in now, there seems to be a lot of fear. Uh, we watch the news and we just have to look around people at the grocery stores. and There seems to be a lot of fear running rampant um, around. And um, aside from just doing the extra you know, the uh, fear inventory over and over again. Have you instituted or can you share any ESH on how to deal with the extra fear that we're going through right now with this uh, virus scare? Well, um, for me, is going back to what I've already learned to do, right? is doing a 10, 11, and 12. Um, in step four, it says if I have a fear, that i need to really get connected with god and and turn my fears over to him how am i doing that you know like am i really truly doing that am i doing the work that requires me to um to let go of those fears Am I praying to god right A, a lot of people they they don't do prayers you know and and we're told that we need to pray a lot right we need to pray And we need to get connected and we need to um let god be the director in our lives be the orchestrator in our lives and if i truly trust in god and i know that no matter what happens even even if i get to the point where you know um a couple of weeks ago i thought i was gonna die I, I i was like writing a letter to my son Saying, hey, you know, uh, I love you. I want, I want you to know my last words is that I love you because I don't know if I'm going to make it, right? So um, I didn't know. I didn't know. But all I knew is that when I went back to my sponsor and she says, you know what? In order to lose the fear, you need to get more deep. You need to redouble your efforts and do this spiritual work and get super connected to your higher power and do a lot of spiritual work so that you could lose the fear and be right size with God. And then you could see things objectively without getting into all that fear. And you know what, it worked. I lost the fear, I got better. I, uh, because I didn't have the fear, because I was trusting God uh, with outcome, you know, and, and whatever he wanted and deemed for me, everything turned out beautiful. And today I'm able to be of more service to my fellows because I am doing that work. So my suggestion to you is trust God, clean house, and do the work and pray.
0: Excellent, thank you, Gen Z. On that note, we thank you, Du, for this outstanding presentation this morning. Thank you for all your efforts to put it together and present in such a fine, excellent fashion. Today's share ID, 14,377. That's 14377. We are going to close from page 164. You'll notice it's in a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little.